I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. As usual, on the back of your bulletin, there is an outline of my message with some spaces to be filled in. And I hope you will do that and take that bulletin with you because I'm hoping that you will help spread the message to somebody this week. Maybe just an abbreviated version, but that you will spread the good word. The topic of my message today is temptation. And before I read the scripture and uh, proclaim the message, I want to offer a personal word of confession and witness. I was a college student up in North Carolina during the 1960s, and most of the major tobacco companies were in North Carolina at that time. And they passed out free, complimentary, little packages of cigarettes on all the college campuses. Thousands of those little packages, five cigarettes to a box. What was their purpose? They wanted to get a new generation addicted to their product. And their strategy worked. And I was one of those victims. Became a hooked cigarette smoker. And then a few years into my ministry... I switched from cigarettes to pipe, and I got hooked on that. I, I believed I really couldn't concentrate and study if I didn't have my pipe burning. And it was a dirty habit. I burned holes in clothes, uh, set a bad example for young people, uh, was not good for my body. And three or four times, I tried very hard to quit. I remember a couple of occasions riding along the highway and rolling my window down and throwing out my pipe. And I'm ashamed to say that on a couple of occasions, I went back a few hours later <laughs> and searched for my pipe on the side of the road, all the time hoping that some member of the church wouldn't come driving by and say, hey, pastor, what are you, what are you doing out there? Then in October 1974, we were holding, at my church in Hartsville, we were holding a, a service for all the young people, the teenagers in the community. And I was the preacher. And at the end of my message, I offered, a, I extended a challenge to the young people. I said, I'm going to challenge you to come down here and kneel at this altar and surrender to God some practice, some habit that is handicapping your witness for Christ. Well, since I invited them, I had to go too. And as soon as my knees hit the altar, the Lord said, son, you know what you got to leave here, don't you? I said, well, Lord, I've tried three or four times really hard, and the temptation is just too much for me. And the Lord said, have you asked for my help? I said, well, not really. I've been really trying to do it on my own. And the Lord said, I dare you to give it your best shot and ask for my help. I said, okay, Lord, you're on. It's going to be you and me, mostly you. That was October 1974. I haven't smoked anything since. And uh, <laughs> the credit is not to me because I tried three or four times unsuccessfully. But the Lord lent me his power and it made the difference and won the victory. And I give him all the praise and the glory. Now, the scripture of the morning. 
is from Luke chapter 4 about temptations in the life of Jesus. And if you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I'll give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. <laughs> Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's suppose that tomorrow you're on a shopping trip. You go to a large shopping mall either in Lexington, Columbia, and of course, uh, there's a lot of traffic, and it's hard to find a parking place, but you finally locate one. And you start backing into the parking place. And about that time, there's a ding on your phone indicating a text message has come through. And for a couple of seconds, you glance at the phone. And that's enough to cause your car to back into the car behind. And you feel and hear that rap of your bumper against a fender. Well, you get out and survey the situation, and yeah, there's a significant dent in the fender of that car. And quickly you calculate, oh, that's about a $500 job probably to replace the fender. And then you think, hmm, my car insurance, I've got a $1,000 deductible. So this is 500 out of my pocket. And uh, it could involve some time and hassle because I don't know who the owner of the car is. And then you look around and you notice that nobody else has seen this minor mishap. And the owner of that car is nowhere in sight. And so the thought enters your mind. You know, I could just drive away. 
wouldn't cost me $500. Time-consuming hassle. Nobody will ever know. That, my friends, is called a temptation. A temptation is just a test, a test of our Christian standards and values. And we face at least a few of them every day. And my message today is designed to help us recognize and be victorious over temptations. Our scripture for the morning is about three excruciating temptations experienced by Jesus at the very beginning of his ministry. It happened in a place called the wilderness. And this is an area fairly near the Dead Sea in Palestine. It's about 35 miles long, 15 miles wide. It's a place of blistering heat and barren limestone. And Jesus went there to work out the strategy for his ministry. He and God were going to work out a plan. And there he was tempted by Satan. When we talk about Satan, the devil, evil, it makes some folks uncomfortable, even church folks. There are many modern, sophisticated church members who believe that the devil is a superstitious figment of our pre-scientific past. And when they hear somebody talk about, oh, the devil made me do that, they smile condescendingly uh, because they consider this all a, a benign myth, this whole business about the devil and evil. However, Jesus certainly believed in the devil the Bible teaches that the devil, who is often called Satan in the Bible, is a spiritual power, God's primary adversary. We learn from the Bible that Satan is a liar, a schemer, and he often masquerades as an angel of light. He is great at putting on disguises. St. Paul taught us that our struggle is against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The person who does not believe in Satan or evil as a real spiritual power has some really tough explaining to do. I mean, how do you explain or understand the Nazi final solution? Killing six million Jews, men, women, little children. How can you possibly understand that without reference to the forces of evil. Tell me how someone can murder an unborn baby just a couple of months before its birthday when the mother's life is not in danger. How can you understand that without considering the forces of evil? Tell me how a legislator who is supposed to be smart, you tell me how he can risk his entire career over a measly $1,000 illegal contribution. Makes no sense unless you consider the forces of evil. Tell me how a 50-year-old man can, can betray a faithful wife of 25 years and run off with his secretary, leaving three wonderful children without referring to the forces of evil. And who other than the devil can fill a white supremacist or a black panther with such awful racial hatred. Now, we face temptations virtually every day 
invitations to sin by thought, word, or deed. I heard about uh, a large downtown church that had a big bulletin board out front. And on the board, it had a rhyming invitation. It said, if you're tired of sin, come on in. Somebody had written at the bottom down there in lipstick, if you ain't tired of sin, call 754-1849. I mean, the temptations are everywhere, even on church bulletin boards. That late, great Baptist preacher, Adrian Rogers, used to say, everything that is not nailed down is coming loose, and the devil is pulling nails as fast as he can. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Now, in thinking about the devil and forces of evil, we need to avoid two extremes. One is the belief, as many modern people have, there's no such thing as the devil. That's a, whole, that's a myth. What a victory that is for Satan. Just to believe that he doesn't exist gives him a field day. And then there's the other extreme, which is also dangerous, of believing the devil's involved in everything. I heard a, I heard a pastor in a televised sermon say that the car trouble he had on the way to church that morning was caused by the devil. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. And I remember reading an article by a sports reporter following a college football game, and he said this, it's obvious that the devil climbed out of the swamp and got into Neyland Stadium yesterday. No, he didn't. No, the devil didn't have anything to do with the outcome of that game. Yes, the devil is real and dangerous, but thanks be to God, he doesn't, he's not allowed to run wild. God has put some limitations on the devil. His powers are limited. His primary power is in his salesmanship. His ability to persuade you and me to participate in his schemes. Now, the Bible assures us that if we resist the devil, he will turn and run. In other words, the devil is really a coward. When we stand up to him in the, in the power of, of Christ, he turns and runs. Furthermore, the Bible assures you that the one who is in you, that is Christ, is greater than the one who is in the world, that is Satan. Now, Jesus had been in the wilderness for 40 days when the first temptation came. He had had nothing to eat during that time, just water to drink. And medical specialists tell me that, yes, a person can uh, exist uh, 40 days without food, even though it takes a terrific toll on their mental and physical systems. So Jesus was weak at that point, and therefore vulnerable. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, just tell that stone to become bread. Easy for you. Do it. And when I read that story as a little boy many, many years ago, I imagined how hungry I would be after 40 days. And I imagined the devil saying, why don't you turn that stone into a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? And I just couldn't understand how Jesus could resist that. How does that temptation apply to us today? We are tempted to make our physical desires our top priority rather than seeking first the kingdom of God. 
And since money can purchase most of our physical desires, then the awesome temptation is to make money the top priority in our lives. And this is the most common sin in America. This is the most common form of, of idolatry in America. Money first. And Jesus said that either money or Christ can come first, but not both. And the choice is ours. Thankfully, Jesus was able to resist this temptation. And he replied, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. The second temptation could be entitled, a shortcut to the top. The devil led Jesus in a vision to up to the top of a high mountain from which he could see all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said, I'll give you all of the authority and splendor for it has been given to me and I can give it to anybody I want to. So if you worship me, it'll all be yours. Now, as usual, I told you Satan was a liar. As usual, Satan added a lie to his sales pitch. Because as far as saying that the world has been given to me, that's a lie. The devil has no deed to this world. God has never given Satan anything but, but a hard time. In fact, the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now, Satan is no fool. He is always shrewd. Notice he does not question Jesus' call or his mission. He simply asked Jesus to do it his way, Satan's way. In other words, let me, Satan, handle the tactics. Let me, Satan, be your guide. Because you know the truest form of worship is obedience. Satan is just asking Jesus Obey me. Jesus responded to this second temptation by saying, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Satan continues to try this second temptation on you and me. He flashes before us all the symbols of success in this world. Luxurious homes and cars. Social prestige and influence and enough affluence to provide our children with anything their hearts desire. And then Satan says, you can have all of it. You can have all of it. If you just let me be your operations officer, put me in charge of tactics, I can show you how to cut a few corners, make a few shortcuts. I can get you to your goals quicker and with less stress and strain. In Memphis, when I was there, there was an executive in a major company who was in line to become vice president of that company. The board had already tentatively made that decision. One day that executive was in the company cafeteria in the checkout line and he picked up a little square of butter that cost maybe three cents and he slipped it between two pieces of bread so the cashier would not see it. He didn't know that the CEO was a couple of people behind him in the line and saw that. The CEO went back to the office and notified the board that this executive should be removed from the list 
of people, candidates for vice president. Why? Because he lacks integrity. That CEO and his board believed these words of Jesus, whoever is dishonest with very little will also be, be dishonest with much. In the third temptation, Satan takes Jesus in a vision up to the very top of the temple in Jerusalem. Now, it was the traditional belief in Judaism that when the Messiah came, one of the places he would appear would be on the roof of the great temple in Jerusalem. The devil knew this. He had done his homework. By the way, Satan knows the Bible really well. He hates the book, but he knows it well, and he uses it and distorts it anytime he gets a chance. So Satan said to Jesus, up there on the top of the temple, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. Now, if I may use a Balknight loose translation of the Satan's temptation, it was sort of like this. Satan said, look, Jesus, you know there will be at least a half a million people in Jerusalem for the annual Passover festival. So if you just announce that at 2 p.m. tomorrow, you are going to stand on the roof of the temple and cast yourself down. Since you are the Messiah, the angels will fulfill what is in Psalm 91. The angels will catch you in midair so that not a foot will hit a stone. The Lord will have to rescue you because he cannot let his son die in this way. In other words, you can execute a kind of holy bungee jump with angels rather than ropes catching you in midair. And the people will be so dazzled that they will be putty in your hands. And it'll be easy for you to raise an army to cast out the hated Romans, and you can set up your kingdom right here and now. We can do it, you and I together. Jesus rejected that temptation, quoting again from Scripture, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, don't try to regiment God for your purposes. Don't try to manipulate God Almighty. Now, how does that temptation possibly apply to you and me today? Let's think about that. Some church member could say to the Lord in prayer, Lord, you know I've got this biopsy coming next week that I'm worried about, that cancer could be a possibility. I've been a member of your church for over 40 years. I've been mighty faithful to you. And I'm asking you for a big, big favor. And I expect you to make that biopsy come back negative. And Lord, if you aren't faithful to me in this instance, don't expect me to be faithful to you any longer. Or some church member might say, I don't have a clue why my teenage son has a drug problem. We raised him the right way in church, sent him to the best camps, helped him with his homework. Can't understand it. And then we find all this marijuana stashed in his room. 
Now, we've enrolled him in a treatment program. But God, you've got to make that treatment program work. You've got to. This is critical. And if you don't, we're out of here. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. It is wrong to demand anything from God. It is wrong. After every request, we must say those words of Jesus. Not my will, but yours be done. A mature faith sounds like this. Lord, no matter what life sends my way, no matter how much heartache is in my path, nothing, nothing can cause me to break faith with you. My faith in you is unconditional, just like your love for me. No turning back. No turning back. Now, having considered those three temptations of Jesus, let's consider some strategies for overcoming temptation. First, avoid places where temptation lurks. If you know you're threatened by sexual temptation, for goodness sakes, don't go on pornographic websites or magazines. Never allow yourself to be alone with someone you know represents temptation. And if love of money is your weakness, if greed is the false god, just give to God's work the first 10% of what you earn, and I promise you God will replace money on the throne of your life. Jesus said, you cannot serve both God and money. Which one we worship is our choice. Be on your guard when you're tired, frustrated, or under stress. Remember that in the wilderness, Jesus had not eaten for 40 days, and in that weakened state, he was vulnerable. St. Peter described the devil as a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, that's an interesting picture. Think about lions. Think about the nature programs you've seen on television in which lions go after their prey. Do you remember the typical characteristics of the animals that they go after and manage to, to, to kill? Normally, those animals are the weak, the careless, and the isolated. In a similar way, the devil preys on people who are spiritually weak, careless, and isolated. We are safer when we gather regularly with God's people in study, in fellowship, and in worship. Beware of times when your prayer life is sporadic and superficial. We are vulnerable at such times. The best protection against temptation is regular, persistent prayer. And you remember that in Jesus' model prayer that we prayed earlier, you remember we are taught to pray, lead us not into temptation. And some people believe that says th that God must tempt us. God doesn't ever tempt us. God never tempts us. What he's saying in that prayer is, Lord, don't lead us into paths that are susceptible to temptation. Jesus urged his disciples, watch and pray that you do not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. 
And that is his warning to us too. Here is strategy number two. Ask this question. Will anyone else be hurt if I fail this test? There's a grand old hymn. It's not in the Methodist hymnal, but it's in the little Cokesbury Brown hymnal that I grew up on. And one of the verses says, If I have wounded any soul today, if I have caused one foot to go astray, if I have lived in my own willful way, dear Lord, forgive. There are people who will be hurt if we surrender to temptation. There are people who count on us to stand strong. Our victories inspire them. Our failures discourage them. St. Paul's word to the church in Rome is also applicable to us. St. Paul said, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's path. Think again about that fender bender incident I mentioned at the very beginning in the parking lot of the shopping center. Now put yourself in the position of the person who owns that car with the bent fender. He comes out of the grocery store, arm full of groceries, gets ready to get in his car, and he notices a significant bent in his fender. He calculates that's about a $500 job. And the perpetrator is long gone. Now, how do you think he would feel? Angry? Yes. Taken advantage of? Yes. If we think about people who could be hurt if we surrender to temptation, it gives us more resistance to it. A member of a former church of mine sent me an email about an experience she had, and with her permission, I'm going to share it with you. She wrote, I was at my bank the other day, and the teller mistakenly gave me an extra $100 bill. As I was leaving, I counted the money several times. I thought about keeping it. Now, parenthetically, let me say, let me tell you what Satan was doing at this point. Satan was whispering to her and was saying, look, that $100 mistake, that's the bank's fault, and the bank's a big institution. What's $100 to a bank? Nothing. Furthermore, Satan may have said to her, hey, the Lord might be involved in this. The Lord knows you're on a tight budget right now. Maybe the Lord is slipping you an extra 100. She continued with her email. I think I took one more step and then thought about that teller. I thought about the trouble she might be in at the end of the day if she was $100 short. I returned to her and gave back the $100. She was surprised but very grateful. I felt good and was praying as I walked out the door. Strategy number two is ask the question, will anyone else be hurt if I fail this test? And here is the third strategy. Look for God's escape route in Holy Scripture. St. Paul refers to that escape route in what he wrote to the Corinthian church. Hear his words. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Notice in all three of the temptations of Jesus, 
how he turned to Scripture every time. With each one, he immediately went by saying, it is written. Jesus found his authority for resisting the devil in Holy Scripture. One of country music's biggest stars is Randy Travis, and he finds help in Holy Scripture too. Randy Travis has sold over 25 million records. He's won seven Grammy Awards. In his early years, Randy Travis really was not in a relationship with God or the church. And he freely admits that he lived in the fast lane and surrendered to every temptation in sight. But in 2013, he suffered a massive stroke. He lingered at death's door for quite a while. And in desperation, Randy reached out to God. And God found Randy. Today, Randy is gradually recovering his voice and his health. And in his autobiography, Randy Travis writes this, It's hard to hear from God if you don't know His Word. That's why I try to read a little from the Bible and talk with Him every day. The longer I live, the less I believe in coincidences. I just don't believe them anymore because I don't think there are many. If you're reading something from God's Word and talking with Him every day, God has a strange and a wonderful way of placing the exact verse, the exact thought in front of you in advance, knowing what temptation or opportunity you're about to face. Those are not coincidences, friends. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. The story of Jesus' victories over those early temptations ends with these words. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left Jesus until an opportune time. And those opportune times came. One of them was when the great Simon Peter tried to persuade Jesus to avoid the cross. And Jesus replied to him, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Every temptation overcome is an important battle, even though the war continues, because the devil never gives up on us. But with each battle that God helps us win, we are stronger. When Satan returns, as he certainly will, he faces a more resilient, a more confident, a more mature disciple. Each victory over temptation builds our Christian character. Let me conclude with a true story about overcoming temptation and building character. Recently in a Wall Street Journal article, Mike Kerrigan, who is a prominent attorney, recalled an experience from his college days. He and some other college boys were working as valets in front of a very exclusive restaurant. One of those valets named Sean retrieved a car for a man and he gave Sean a tip and drove off. Sean looked at the tip and it was a hundred dollar bill. Sean said to the other valets, this has got to be a mistake. He didn't mean to do that. 
Sean started running after the car. Took him three blocks to catch up with the guy. When he finally did, the man rolled down the window and Sean told him about the $100 tip and the man was so grateful. He said, that was a huge mistake. I can't afford to do that. Thank you so much. He took the $100 bill and gave Sean a new tip. Sean went back to the other valets and told them about it. And they asked him, how much is the new tip? And Sean said, $3. The other valet said, that's awful. That guy should have given you a 20. Sean smiled and said nothing. Mike Kerrigan, remembering that incident, said, I know why Sean smiled. Why did Sean smile? Sean smiled because even before he started chasing that car, he had decided that his integrity was worth more than any tip. He had decided that his character was not for sale. And that, said Mike Kerrigan, was the best tip I ever received. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.